You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. We are recording in the beautiful Exeter Inn in Exeter, New Hampshire, and my co-host today is Cindy Johnson. Cindy is Operations Manager of the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, and she's also on the staff of the Exeter Inn. How are things in the lighthouse world and the hospitality industry, Cindy? Hi, Jeremy. Well, there's a lot going on with both. As far as Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse goes, we've had, over the last few weeks, uh, we actually had just under 500 students tour Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. And we've had between one and 200 visitors at our Sunday open houses. We've had three of those so far. The hospitality industry is very similar in that we are seeing a lot of tourists, and it's also wedding season here in northern New England. The most exciting thing happening, I have to say, is the repainting of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. Yeah. We're finally having the lighthouse tower repainted after about nine years, and it's really needed this paint job for the last couple of years, so we're really excited that that is beginning. It is exciting. As a matter of fact, we're recording this on, uh, what is today's date? June? Today is June... 12th? <laughs> Today is Wednesday, June 12th. Yes, I thought I thought it might be. <laughs> Thank you for, for helping <laughs> me with that. And uh, the, the paint job actually just started today. Uh, well, they, brought, they delivered the scaffolding yesterday, and they started putting the scaffolding up uh, today. Uh, the J.B. Leslie Company, uh, based in southern Maine, uh, is doing the job. They've worked on a lot of lighthouse projects. Uh, over 20, I believe, they did the uh, the, re- the repainting and a lot of other work of uh, the Cape Netic Nubble Lighthouse in York, Maine last year. And uh, they're doing the repainting job on Portsmouth Harbor Light uh, for us. And uh, the crew started putting up the scaffolding this morning. I went over there this morning. Portsmouth Harbor Light, for those who don't know, is on uh, in Newcastle on the short New Hampshire seacoast. And I actually had a chance to speak with Kyle Brandt, who is uh, one of the workers... Uh, on the project uh, this morning, and I recorded a little audio. So uh, let's listen to Kyle talking about uh, that project. Uh, and, and again, I just recorded that this morning, so let's listen to that. Okay, um, yeah, first of all, we're, we're erecting the staging. Uh, we're gonna stage it up to, the, up to the deck, and then as soon as that's done, we'll, we'll, um, we'll start taking off the old, the old trouble spots um, where the rust comes through or the flaking paint. We'll uh, wire brush that and, and try to, anything, that, any loose debris, any, any old rust stains, we'll clean. Um, and then we'll, we'll spot prime with an OSFO, which will kind of just, it, it's, it stops the, the rust from spreading. We'll let that dry. And when we get um, the, the real problem areas, real flaky, get all that, that off and, and on, a, on a nice uh, tight finish, we'll, we'll prime it. Um, and after that sets for the appropriate time, we'll come back with a, a chlorothane paint and, and do uh, at least two coats. Um, and then, you know, uh, start top to bottom and then we'll, we'll do the same thing up top of the deck. Any, any, um, any problem areas, we'll, we'll remove the rust, repair, uh, prime and paint, and uh, recock the windows. And that's the... You know, that's the whole of it. Um, the, the number one, the painting process is a little quicker. The biggest thing is removing the, the paint and the rust and keeping it all contained. Mm-hmm. This is all going to take probably at least about three weeks? Yeah, pro- approximately. I mean, wet weather dependent, but 
Um, that's what we're hoping for. Get it in and out as, as quick as possible. If it, every day is like today, it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. But, yeah. And hopefully that's the case. Thank you. A little later, we're going to have a segment on Lighthouse history and also a trivia question with prizes. But first, we're going to have an interview I recorded with one of the leading figures in American lighthouse preservation. Cindy, please tell us about our guest, Bob Trapani, Jr. Since 2005, Bob Trapani Jr. has served as the Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, a nonprofit organization with its headquarters in the historic Keeper's House of the Owl's Head Lighthouse in Maine. In its 25-year history, the American Lighthouse Foundation and its chapters have been directly involved with many restoration projects, and the organization has been responsible for more than $4 million spent on lighthouse preservation. Bob, who is originally from Pennsylvania and lived for some years in Delaware, previously served as executive director of the Delaware Seashore Preservation Foundation, which is devoted to the preservation of the 1876 Indian River Lifesaving Station at Rehoboth Beach in Delaware, and he co-founded the Delaware River and Bay Lighthouse Foundation. Bob is also the author of four books and many articles on lighthouses and maritime history and lore, and he's an accomplished photographer whose work can be seen in a number of books and magazines and on several websites. Bob also joined the Coast Guard Auxiliary in Cape May in 1998 and started training to become a certified aids-to-navigation technician. Since moving to Maine in 2005, he's been working with the Coast Guard aids-to-navigation teams on the Maine coast, servicing the lighthouses, buoys, and other aids-to-navigation. I've known Bob for close to 20 years. He's a good friend, and I had the chance to sit down with him in the Keeper's House at Owl's Head Light Station this past December. Our conversation ranged from the challenges of preservation to the technology of modern aids to navigation. Let's listen to that interview now. Thank you, Jeremy. It's great to have you and uh, looking forward to uh, really talking all things lighthouses. What first sparked your interest in lighthouses? Oh, wow. Let's see. First sparked my interest. Uh, I would say it was in the early 1990s. Uh, my family and I would often visit the uh, beaches of Delaware prior to moving to Delaware and seeing some of the lighthouses there, uh, not in the best of shape and wanting to know why this was and being not familiar, just doing a little research and understanding, you know, all the different complexities that was it at that point in time facing the Coast Guard with preservation? And uh, eventually I decided that uh, maybe I can help do something about this. You know, it takes a team effort, but, you know, in this case, there really was no effort started in Delaware at that time for this type of thing. And it was like, well, why can't we start one? So that's how my interest really started. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Owl's Head Lighthouse? Well, we first got involved with Owl's Head Lighthouse back in 2007 when we secured the first lease on the tower. Um, but at that point in time, we did not have responsibility for the keeper's house. Mm -hmm. And then in that change in October 12, uh, when ALF did become uh, the stewards of the keeper's house and of the property itself. And from that point forward, when the organization was able to relocate its headquarters here, uh, it just it, it placed the organization on yet another important step towards its long-term growth uh, and, and what the possibilities were that, that could be for this organization. And what a spot. Um, it is my opinion, because I think lighthouses both have two different personalities. One, 
when you're on land looking at them and then one when you're from the water looking at them. And I think from the water, this may, this is in my opinion, may be the most picturesque lighthouse in Maine from the water. I know you could give me an argument on that, but it's like... It's up there, Well, when you sure. think about the, the, the south view and you think about how it can be framed with the Camden Hills and how mm-hmm. the lighthouse and then the oil house and the keeper's house is all situated, uh, from that angle from the south, it is quite a mm-hmm. uh, majestic view. Yeah. You know, and... Well, as scenic as it is on land, I do think its best uh, look is is from water. That's my opinion. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And we tell people that all the time. We come visit. They're all like, how beautiful this place. I say, you know, get on one of the local schooners and mm-hmm. tour boats and you'll be surprised what a different view you get from the water of this place. But it's a very old station. I mean, you 1825, mm-hmm. you know, and the tower dates back to 1852 today. Uh, proud to have its Fresnel lens still in place, a fourth order. Mm-hmm. And we open this tower up three to four days during the summer. Uh, I'd love to have it open more, but we'll work on that with the volunteers. And people are able to see a working Fresnel lens, just like a Pemiquid point. Uh, and I think that's a big storyteller because when they get up topside, I mean, one of the first things that obviously everybody's like, wow, what a view. But then they're struck by this beautiful gem, this treasure, this Fresnel lens uh, with its thousand watt lamp that, you know, they can feel the heat even without their hands away from the lens and how bright it is. It's quite a story to be able to also tell about uh, lighting and the Fresnel lens and what it meant to lighthouse history. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have the, the story of uh, one of the most famous uh, fog dogs of the main coast. Spot the dog. You know, when you tell people this story or but but really when you speak to children we have school groups here and you tell them about spot the dog uh man their eyes get big they they really pay attention then because who doesn't love a good pet story at a lighthouse mm-hmm. and spot was just uh you know credited with saving the uh, matinicus mailboat on its way back during a storm uh in the 1930s uh but the to read that story and to see what when we talk about keepers and their families, we all, we also sometimes we forget to talk about the pets in in those places. But in some cases, you know, they played an irreplaceable role in some of the historic happenings that that happened at these places. And Spot certainly has survived the uh, the uh, historical time passage. And and here, and people just love the story of hearing about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, Spot's been great. We uh, and having a picture of him. Uh, to be able to actually have a real photograph showing Spot the dog to people, is, uh, it really brings it to life even more for them. Well, what a special thing it is to to be able to to work here uh, every day. And, uh, you know, so many of us enjoy seeing your photographs that you post that you take here, you know, of passing vessels and the changing weather here, pictures uh, from the lantern room of snow and, and so forth, uh, you know, it's a, it's it's very special, uh, and I think people uh, kind of envy the, the, you uh, having that experience here. Well, I think what's kind of neat is is that we all know. I mean, anybody who loves lighthouses understands mm-hmm. that it was part of that maritime scene and connection. But when you have an opportunity to, in this case, work out of the keeper's house here on a, a pretty much daily basis, and you're seeing the everyday activity that otherwise might be mundane to the average person, but then you start to realize... Yeah, I mean, this is this is the lighthouse keepers. It was more than just them caring for the lights. It was everything that was happening around them. And yeah, the weather plays a big role. The weather always plays a big role. And uh, seeing what different types of light and and different kinds of snow and different kinds of fog. Not all fog is the same and how it comes rolling in. So uh, yeah, you learn a lot. There's a big educational uh, opportunity as well. As a uh, preservationist and a lighthouse technician, 
Uh, I think you're pretty uh, uniquely uh, positioned to view lighthouses from multiple angles. There aren't many people who have that, that ability. Do you think lighthouses uh, still have much navigational value in today's world? Well, I'd like to think they have uh, some important navigational role today. Obviously, with the advent of GPS and the other technologies that we have today electronically, um, it is fair to say that lighthouses at best are probably a secondary aid in navigation. I mean, they're not certainly the primary aid that they used to be. Um, you'll get some folks that even say they're somewhat obsolete, but at the same time, if a lighthouse goes out, it becomes extinguished, first thing people want to do is report it in. So they do pay attention. They want to say that lights, that needs, you know, the Coast Guard needs to be able to go out there and repair, get that light back online. So when you're at, especially for some of the smaller boats. I mean, some of the commercial shipping today, you know, they're probably not using the lighthouses. But for some lobstermen, some sailboats, things of that nature, they may uh, still look at those lights as a, as a secondary and, and something they know is always going to be there. Whereas if they have an electronic failure aboard their boat, they can look out and see that lighthouse and know that, okay, I, uh, I am where I need to be or I need to adjust my course. What about so-called fog signals or sound signals fog horns, as people call them. What do you think is their role or value in navigation today? Or, or do they have a role in navigation today? Well, they still play a role because they're still active. Um, but that role is even far more reduced than the lights themselves. Um, the horns that are operating today, for the most part, most of them are about a half a mile to mile range. So you can think about that and think about the boats when they're far offshore, they're probably not going to hear these horns. However, you know, really take the hats off to the Coast Guard on this because certain countries around the world are decommissioning foghorns or already have. And uh, our Coast Guard has decided to um, basically extend their life through the MRAS program, which was the Mariner Radio Activated Sound Signal System. It was met with some, you know, some people weren't very happy with it. But at the same time, when you look at it, I think the MRAS system is going to allow foghorns to play a role in navigation, albeit small, for many years to come. Otherwise, like anything with the parts and stuff for these types of uh, horns that are no longer really needed worldwide, they're just not manufacturing them anymore. So it's going to extend the life of our horns. And, uh, um, you know, kayakers and, and small boats may still use the horn. I know kayakers, there's stories we still hear where kayakers say, uh, they heard a foghorn and it, and it really it saved their life. They would have been out to sea otherwise, you know, whatever. I know there was a story about that at Libby Island recently. And, and there's been some other places. So, yes, and, and I guess if you look at it, that if we're impacting even a few lives with it, that's a, that's a good thing. If we could go back for a moment to the, the lights themselves, uh, as a lighthouse technician, do you have any comment on the uh, VLB44 LED optics that have become kind of the prevalent uh, offshore optics these days? Well, I, I for one, love them. Um, again, like the MRAS system with the foghorns, the VLB44s have been met with some disdain by uh, lighthouse traditionalists. But I would say that aside from a Fresnel lens, if there's a Fresnel lens in place, of course, you want to keep that in place. But aside from a Fresnel lens, if you were talking more of the acrylic beacons, even the rotating VRB25, um, I would say that really this is a, this is going to be a huge improvement for anybody who uses lighthouses. And I think maybe, too, we have to look at it from the mariner's perspective rather than our own. You know, for instance, some of the uh, VRB25s have been taken out. People have lost the romance of that 
that beacon that would just revolve. So I get that. I totally understand that. But at the same time, um, the incandescent technology is fading. Me, as personally, is, is what is the mariner's take on it? You know, traditionally, all the way back, even in the 1800s, mariners probably didn't ever understand, for the most part, what kind of optic was in a lighthouse. All they wanted to know was it bright and did it have its proper characteristics. Well, the VLB-44 is bright, and it's going to show that proper characteristics. And for the mariner, who's not even using lighthouses as a primary aid anymore, that's, that's all they could ask for. And then from the Coast Guard's perspective, it's so much more efficient and going to allow the Coast Guard, with these dwindling budgets that continue to happen, to continue to put a light in a lighthouse at a very efficient cost. Because they, they are unbelievable in terms of not just their their brightness, but their ability to last. So as a preservationist too, then you think, well, geez, I hate to see a lighthouse without a light. The light's kind of like the heart and soul. So if the LED provides that at an efficient rate well out into the future, then we as preservationists win too. So uh, from both sides, both as a lighthouse technician, as a preservationist, I think it's a fascinating technology that uh, we should embrace. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing preservationists, facing lighthouse preservationists today? Well, if you'd asked me that question a few years ago, I might have had a different answer. But I think as time has evolved, I think the biggest challenge facing preservationists today is the digital world that is fast enveloping all of us. Meaning that so much of uh, what we do, and even seeing AI coming in and um, virtual realities and all, is having what we call, and I say this very respectfully, but having these static, historic monuments, these towers, um, how do we get that kind of historic uh, site to appeal to a generation or generations that are continually having what interests or stimulates their interest uh, being so much more futuristic? How can we show them that, hey, wait, the lighthouses, they need to keep pace and they're worth us bringing forward. I think it's our biggest challenge. I mean, it used to be I would have thought that, okay, the, uh, you know, aging volunteers that originally got involved with the lighthouse, and it is a problem today, you know, in terms of, um, you know, volunteers being able to carry forward and who's going to replace them. But I think the biggest challenge is truly is um, we as a culture, our people, you know, what's, what is really, where are we going with our attention? We have a very short attention span in the world today. And we seem to not value anything as much as we used to. And so, yeah, that's a that's a huge challenge. And I, I don't have an answer for that other than the fact of what we continue to do, what all of our lighthouses continue to do, and that is you reach out to one person at a time and you impact and try to make a meaningful difference. Um, but there is no easy answer to how you overcome that. I think I think lighthouse the lighthouse world being able to integrate its program into more the digital world will help a little bit with that. Being able to uh, reach people with the technologies and softwares and what have you in a different way. So the experience doesn't always have to be hands-on at the lighthouse, which is ultimately going to always be the best. But for the masses who may never even be drawn to that, can we draw them through that, all the platforms that are you know quickly becoming available to us all? I agree. It's a, it's an enormous challenge. And kind of uh, part B to that, kind of relating to what you just said, what do you think the, and if there is such a thing as the average person, 
or the average tourist, what, what do you think uh, people are looking for when they come actually come to a lighthouse? What, what, what do they want? What are they looking for? Based on my experience, I think people are coming to find a little fun, to get a great view, and to just be able to um, entertain others around them for a period of time. So you get, a, you get them, they already come in a little bit distracted. If they're in big groups of people, they're distracted. If they see a great view, that's in itself a little bit of a distraction because when you get them up into the lantern, right away their eyes get cast seaward and they're looking all around and you're trying to teach them something in a few minutes that you have there. Um, But I've grown to accept that. I've grown to sit there and say that the biggest thing I want them to come away with is really more emotional. What did they feel? Did they have a good time? Did Of course, they're going to get great views except on a foggy day that people get up top of the tower. And then I say, that's our million-dollar view. And sometimes they laugh, sometimes they don't. But uh, I want them to go away feeling good. And if they learn something along the way, awesome. I mean, that's what we're here for. But that's a it's going to be a niche market to who we're going to appeal to with the history part of it right off the bat. Um, but for the masses who may not want to spend the time to listen, you know, at least let them say, did I have a good time? Will I come back? Will I come back and visit? Did we support the organization through maybe buying some merchandise, maybe you know, making a donation? Um, those are all important things because we, we will not make lighthouse enthusiasts out of everybody that steps onto the site. In your years, and you've been involved in this, this field for, for quite a while now, would you say you've become more or less optimistic about the future of lighthouses, the future of lighthouse preservation in this country? I think we're at a point in time where that is yet to be determined. Um, I would say I remain cautiously optimistic that we will continue to see the inroads and successes uh, go forward. But I think we're also at a point where it's critical in the now to be able to reach these people that we've been talking about, these younger generations, and not so much children in fourth grade who might learn history, but people in high school, college, in their 20s, 30s, even the 40s. Because, I mean, like you said, when you go to some of your lectures and you look around and and the people interested in lighthouses, they're definitely, you know, on the older side of it. So it's that's if we don't if we don't succeed in the present, that cautious optimism might not be there. It might be pulled away. But right now, I still remain cautiously optimistic that um, we can overcome some of these things that are around us. And I think, too, uh, we tend to, we all tend to think a certain way. And, you know, I'm going to use this term, but, you know, sometimes we can become a little, anything can become a little cliquish, you know. And when you realize that it's the diversity that's going to help in the long run, how can we do a better job as preservationists today to, to allow other thought processes to come in, allow other ideas to be able, even if they counter a little bit of what we've traditionally done to be successful, we have to understand that we're not always going to be in that place. So how we embrace a wider audience and let them feel like they can make a meaningful difference is going to be important too. So uh, coming full circle, I remain cautiously optimistic that people will follow us and do bigger and better, better things, but we'll just have to wait and see how we finish out our quote job in the, in the present, and that is how we impact people who are following us. The 
It's time now for the part of Lighthearted, where we discuss an aspect of lighthouse history. Today's topic is the Hook Lighthouse, or Hook Head Lighthouse, in Ireland, which is one of the oldest operating lighthouses in the world. The tapering headland of Hook Head is in the southwestern part of County Wexford, which is on the southeast coast of Ireland below Dublin. The point of land is composed of limestone, which was burned in many lime kilns that can still be seen in the area. The limestone powder was used to make mortar for the building of many local stone walls and houses. In the 5th century, a monastery was established on the peninsula by a monk named Duvain, that's spelled D-U-B-H-A-N and pronounced Duvain or Duwain, and the headland became known as Rin Duvain or Duvain's Headland. The similar-sounding Irish word Duane, D-U-A-N, means hook, so it's possible that's where the name Hookhead comes from, but it's also possible that the name comes from the fact that the peninsula simply resembles a hook of land. The famous phrase, by hook or by crook, comes from here. The phrase is believed to have been spoken by Oliver Cromwell in 1649 when he vowed that he would take the port town of Waterford by hook or by crook. Crookhead is on the opposite side of the Shore Estuary, spelled S-U-I-R, pronounced Shore, from Hookhead. So they are the two points that guard the entrance to the port. Cromwell succeeded in taking Waterford. According to tradition, the early monks from Duvain's monastery erected a beacon that burned fire to warn mariners away from the dangerous rocks on the Hook Peninsula. A more substantial lighthouse tower was built around the year 1200. It's believed that it was built by William Marshall, Earl of Pembroke. The lighthouse was built primarily to help mariners reach the port of New Ross about 18 miles upriver from the Hook Peninsula. Monks apparently helped to build the lighthouse and they served as the keepers of the light for many years. The tower was constructed of local limestone and it stands four stories high with walls up to 13 feet thick. The first three stories still have their original 13th century stone fireplaces. Built into the walls are a number of chambers. The upper tier originally supported a beacon fire, which was later replaced by a lantern. A new lantern was installed on top in 1671, but the lighthouse continued to burn coal until another lantern was installed with 12 whale oil lamps in 1791. Gas lights were installed in 1871, then kerosene burning equipment in 1911. Three new houses for keepers were built in the 1860s. Finally, the power source became electricity in 1972. The light was automated in 1996 and the last light keepers were removed. The station is remotely controlled by the commissioners of Irish Lights. The foghorn was heard for the last time in 2011 when all of Ireland's fog signals were discontinued because it was felt that modern technology had rendered them obsolete. The old keepers' houses were turned into a visitor center, and the light station was opened to the public in 2001. The site is open all year, except for a few days around Christmas, and guided tours are available. There's a cafe with seafood chowder, toasted crab sandwiches, and scones, and a gift shop featuring local interest books and craft items. There's lots more information available online at hookheritage.ie. It's time now for our trivia question. If you've been listening closely to today's program, you should know the answer. The first two people to answer this question correctly will win prizes. The first gets a 2019 U.S. Lighthouse Society calendar 
featuring photographs by 14 talented society members. The second gets a Lighthouse Illumination DVD. This video takes you on an animated tour through the history of Lighthouse Illumination. Okay, Cindy, please tell us the trivia question. Okay, here's the question. What famous phrase is associated with the location of the Hook Lighthouse in Ireland? Here's a hint. It begins with the word by. That's B-Y, by. Okay, I'll repeat the question one more time. What famous phrase is associated with the location of the Hook Lighthouse in Ireland? And again, it starts with the word by, B-Y. And how do people enter to win? They should send their answer in an email to you at jeremy at uslhs.org. Right. Send your answer in an email to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. State that you are answering the trivia question in Lighthearted Show Number 5 and include your full name and mailing address. Again, the first two people who answer correctly will win a prize. So that's it for another edition of Lighthearted. I want to thank the management and staff of the Exeter Inn, where we are uh, today. Thank you to everyone at the U.S. Lighthouse Society headquarters in Hansville, Washington, and all the staff and volunteers of the U.S. LHS. A reminder that you can learn more about the U.S. Lighthouse Society in their domestic and international tours by visiting the website at www.uslhs.org. That's right. I also want to remind people that if they're on the New Hampshire seacoast this summer, uh, they should come by Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle on a Sunday afternoon during the open houses. Cindy, you're pretty much always there for the open houses. I am. I'm usually there. I am. For more information on our open houses, go to our website at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. I also want to thank today's guest, Bob Trapani Jr. Of course, to learn more about the American Lighthouse Foundation, go to LighthouseFoundation.org. So that does it for another edition of Lighthearted. Until next time, keep a good light. Mm-hmm.